0: We have, Mm -hmm. you know, enormous language diversity in this area. The languages that we get requests for, a lot of times people are shocked Mm. when they hear that we have this huge, you know, Karen-speaking community in Ithaca, Mm. or we have a lot of requests for Iraqi Arabic, Mm. or we have requests for, you know, people, uh, frequently potential volunteers will come up to us and say, I speak this language, but I don't see how that could ever be useful to Mm -hmm. you. Our response to that is always, you never know in an emergency what could be required.
1: You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic
2: related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week, on Speaking of Language. We dive into Cornell's Translator Interpreter Program, a student-run organization that offers its services to the surrounding community. Student executive board members Dana Slayton, Pearl Nye, and Ruby Lee join us to discuss what TIP has to offer.
3: Welcome to a new season of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
2: And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We hope the new decade is off to a great start for everybody. We are excited to start our fifth season of Speaking of Language by welcoming three Cornell students to the studio.
3: Dana Slayton, Pearl Nye, and Ruby Lee are all e-board members of the Translator Interpreter Program.
2: TIP is a student organization that trains multilingual Cornell students to serve as volunteer translators and interpreters for community agencies in emergency and non-emergency situations.
3: Welcome to Speaking of Language, Dana, Pearl, and Ruby. Thank Thank you for having us. So TIP does a wonderful and very important job of bridging language and cultural barriers as well as building mutual understanding and community trust. We're so excited to hear more about this program, how you got involved. But first, we want to hear a little bit more about the three of you. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are, what your journey with languages is? Do you speak different languages? And what got you interested in Tip?
4: Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Ruby. I am a current freshman in Dyson School of Business, studying applied economics and management. Uh, I'm really interested in TIP because I think that I have a very um, diverse cultural background. I was born in Russia, and I am ethnically Chinese. I speak four languages: English, Mandarin, Russian, and a dialect in China called Ch- Chinese. Wow! Yeah, that's awesome. What got you interested in TIP? Um, I'm really interested in TIP because of the opportunity that I get to have to basically connect with many culturally diverse people mm-hmm. and students like me, and I
1: really like to make friends. So, yeah. That's awesome. Pearl, how about you? Yeah, so my name is Pearl. I'm studying industrial and labor relations here. I'm a sophomore. I speak English, Cantonese, and I think I'm at an intermediate level of Spanish, something that really... Speaks to me about TIP and why I chose to join is because it empowers students who have multilingual or bilingual abilities to give back to the community. I think it's a very sort of student centered program that also enables um, sort of a conversation about larger language accessibility issues. Mm. Um, I think a lot about um, linguistic privilege in terms of students being able to speak English and other community members in Ithaca uh, maybe not being able to speak English, but um, they deserve to be seen as people and com- um, part of the community at large. Um, so I really enjoy that it's giving students the ability to use their strengths to sort of give back and leverage power um, yeah. in the Ithaca community.
0: I'm Dana. Uh, I'm a sophomore in arts and sciences. I'm a college scholar, um, which means I don't have a major, so to speak, and I'm primarily focused on research in sociolinguistics and pedagogy of Arabic. And... Um, and my my kind of relationship and journey with languages is re- it's really a love story more than it is anything mm. else. I've been studying Arabic for about six and a half years, um, and I started taking it in high school by complete chance. It was it was literally a coin flip that got me started with Arabic. And after two days, I, I knew that it was what I wanted to do for like the rest of my life. It That's was awesome. it, it, I can't describe it any other way, um, and I've just kind of stuck with it since then. Um, so it, that was kind of the gateway drug for me into into <laughs> linguistics and language issues, so to speak. And it's 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 stuck with me the whole time and been a really important motivator uh, for me getting involved on campus and um, even getting involved with TIP. Uh, My involvement with TIP started during my freshman year when I, like all other freshmen, was just kind of wildly looking for things to do with like my newfound free time Um, and I saw a flyer for it, and something that had mattered to me a lot in high school was community service, Uh particularly with language, and I used um, Arabic, and I have experience teaching English as well, Uh and so I was doing both of those things at the same time. I was helping be an informal interpreter for some um, Coptic refugee communities in my area, and also helping them learn English, and so I I loved doing that Uh um, and wanted to get more involved in the community here in Ithaca because I think it was hard for me at first to feel like I I lived here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, It's really hard to feel like you live here, I think, especially as a student. Um, And then I saw a flyer for tip and I was like, might as well give this a try. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I went to one of the volunteer training sessions and eventually decided that I I wanted to get involved with eBoard um, and have stuck with it since. Um, And I, I love it because I think it's a great way to get people thinking about language and how we talk and how how we talk influences how we interact with others Mm -hmm. and see the world and it's also a really good way for for students who have these kind of skills and abilities to feel celebrated for them
3: yeah um because i've definitely
0: had conversations with people since coming here even who feel like they never really had an outlet for their bilingualism growing up Mm -hmm. especially if they grew up in the states and you know everything's kind of in english and if you speak english then there's no problem um and they feel like through TIP, they've they've had a chance to kind of access that, that mm-hmm, talent and mm-hmm. that, that skill and that background they have. And that's really great to yeah. see.
2: Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how TIP came about, a little bit of the history.
1: So it started all in 2000, which I think I was a baby. All three of us <laughs> were probably babies. I was just born in 2000, so I, I can't really say that I was there. But um, in 2000, there is a fire in Ithaca. And the family that was uh, affected by this fire, and the house fire, only spoke Mandarin, and so they were unable to communicate effectively mm-hmm. or basically at all with emergency services. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, a student here who graduated graduated in 2001, her name is uh, Fatuma Sumar. She saw this incident um, and saw that there was this need in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, why why weren't why weren't these emergency corresponders able to talk effectively or communicate effectively with this family? Yeah. Um, and that shouldn't be the case, right? Um, so she was originally head of the language expansion program. Mm-hmm. And so TIP started under LEP. Mm-hmm. And so what she did was she sent out this survey, so handwritten surveys, and she sent them out to 300 community organizations oh, wow. or 300 sort of service oriented uh, community organizations, and it was a survey to ask them, you know, what are the languages that you are um, encountering every Mm -hmm. day or that the people that are requesting your services are uh, requesting for, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the survey results found that at least 25 language needs (laughs) uh, were not being met in the Ithaca community. So what she did was it sort of follows the format of what we have today. She trained um, multilingual and bilingual Cornell students to sort of effectively communicate, translate, and interpret Mm it during emergency and non-emergency cases. And then she also got all of them certified by Cornell professors in order for them to have this sort of certification to tell community organizations, like, hey, um, our faculty say that this person is fluent and capable of interpreting and translating Mm -hmm. for this given language, and you can trust them. And so, yeah, that's sort of how it started, this um, really unfortunate event Um, was able to inspire Mm -hmm. a program that is trying to mitigate those sort of situations from happening in the future.
3: This is wonderful and really important. So can you speak a little bit more about why services like TIP are important to the community, but also to Cornell as an institution and then to the volunteers that get trained through TIP? At least in my opinion, I think one of the most important
0: things that we do, aside from the very obvious, you know, meeting a critical need Mm -hmm. in critical situations, um, is helping people kind of become more aware of the linguistic diversity Hmm. of the Ithaca community. Um, Because I think when people think about upstate New York and they think about the Mm -hmm. central region and they think about where we are in the country, the first thing that pops into your mind isn't, oh, we have a huge unmet language need. The Mm -hmm. first thing that pops into your mind is like, there are people that live there, <laughs> like that sort of thing. So I think in TIP does a really good job within Cornell and externally through the work that we do of making our student body more aware of the place that they live in. We have, mm-hmm. you know, enormous language diversity in this area. The languages that we get requests for, a lot of times people are shocked mm-hmm. when they hear that we have this huge, you know, Karen-speaking community in Ithaca, mm-hmm. or we have a lot of requests for Iraqi Arabic, mm-hmm. or we have requests for, you know, people a frequently... Potential volunteers will come up to us and say, "I speak this language, but I don't see how that could ever be mm. useful to mm-hmm. you." And and our all our response to that is always, "You never know in an emergency sure. what sure. could what could be required." Um, so I think that's one of the most important things that that we do is kind of connect people with the community in that mm-hmm. way. Um, and that's both inside of Cornell and mm-hmm. outside of it in the kind of work we do that all of those, whenever we send a volunteer, that volunteer is acting as a representative for our program sure. and for the language they speak and for Cornell and our public service center and all of those capacities influence how, how they engage and how mm-hmm. language diversity is seen by
4: the, mm-hmm. the broader
3: community here. About how many languages do you currently have in TIP?
4: So we have 10 languages uh, currently uh, with TIP, and then we also have 44 volunteers for these languages. Oh, that's great.
3: How do you build your program? How do you encourage more students to participate?
4: Basically, we have uh, posters uh, around the campus, and we... You know, contact a lot of students who might be interested in languages and know um, another language other than English, and we ask them to come to one of our volunteer training sessions and to get certified as a volunteer so that they could use their language skills to serve the Cornell community and the local community too. We have our four volunteer training sessions per semester
0: and we publicize those Mm -hmm. in the way that Ruby described. We host events for our volunteers. And a lot of times what happens is when we have those social events that are for TIP volunteers, they'll reach out to us saying something like, oh, hey, I have a friend. She speaks Burmese. Can I bring her along? Mm -hmm. And we're always like, oh, sure. Because then that's another kind of point of contact for us to reach mm-hmm. um, potential, you know, bilingual students that might be interested in getting involved in the program. And it's really great when we have people that just reach out to us saying, I have a friend who speaks this language. How can I convince them mm-hmm. to come to a training session? Um, and I think our faculty are also really important for that because mm, the faculty yep. is kind of, they have this capacity where they're they're certifying our students and they're ensuring that we kind of have the the community legitimacy that we need mm. or our our volunteers have the legitimacy they need to perform the work that they do in the community. Um, They're also involved in a lot of times identifying students who can potentially do really well Mm -hmm. um, as a translator or interpreter. And a lot of times they have contact with heritage speakers of languages on campus um, that they can then put in touch with us if if we've made that connection with the Mm -hmm. faculty. So I think that's another really important um, means of of reaching out and building our program. Mm
3: -hmm. What are some examples of non-emergency situations where you get requests for translation or interpretation? We get a lot of
1: sort of like um, when you have a form that you need to have sort of translated mm-hmm. or um, often we have like parent teacher conferences where mm-hmm. it's, you know, not maybe it feels like an emergency to the kid, but <laughs> it's a non-emergency for the most part. Um, and so in our volunteer training sessions, we have a section where potential volunteers can practice sort mm-hmm. of get a feel for what an, an interpretation in a non-emergency situ- situation would be. And so a very common case that we do is, you know, maybe uh, a student is struggling in math or something, and the teacher just wants to have a conversation with the parent. Mm-hmm. And so the interpreter can be there to sort of facilitate a really easy conversation and just to ensure that all the communication is smooth and all the information that needs to be said is communicated clearly.
2: Mm-hmm. How has serving on the eboard been beneficial for the three of you?
1: I think for me
0: at least, um, it's been really, really good to be on the inside of a service learning program like this mm-hmm. to kind of see how the gears turn and how mm-hmm. the entire system works together, um, because it's it's not every day or every university even where you can have the experience of seeing how community translation work mm-hmm. and community interpretation work happens, yeah. like from an insider's perspective. But you you definitely get that um, being on the e board here, and that's just been it's been fascinating to to watch and really something that makes me proud to be a part of it because because you get to see their actual like dividends
1: and relationships being born um, as a result
0: of this program.
1: Being a part of eBoard has been really special because I appreciate the opportunity to sort of help facilitate um, those community um, programs and sort of like communications and networks. But I also think that like college is so much more about Like, more than just being in a lecture hall and, like, absorbing information that someone's, like, throwing at me. Like, I want to be using, like, what I'm learning in the classroom in a very tangible way. And I think, like, what better um, than to join an organization that's trying to have, like, a net positive in the community? And it just—I feel like I'm using what I'm learning Mm -hmm. in a productive way. And, like, if I can help someone in the process— wouldn't that be so much better? I come from a family where my parents aren't from America, and I'm really uh, grateful and very lucky that they can speak English and they don't feel embarrassed or sort of ashamed by their accents. But I understand that like a lot of people come from families where their parents don't have that, sure. right? And it can be really um, restricting and self- sort of suffocating to be in that sort of environment where you don't feel like you're accepted. Or people like literally that come to Cornell, that are international students, that feel that way. So. I really appreciate also the opportunity to sort of make people feel at home here, sort of what Dana was saying. Like Mm -hmm. people who speak English might not even feel at home here, Mm -hmm. but how much more do people who don't speak English as a first language feel that way? So if I can be using like my time to sort of alleviate that Mm -hmm. fear, like then I will, you know, be all for it. Mm And so I feel like the eboard has been great for that. Aside from the professional stuff.
4: I really appreciate the opportunity for, like, finding a community like Mm -hmm. this where I am able to continue expressing, uh, like, the cultural part of me Mm -hmm. continuing from high school. Because back in high school, I was the Russian representative of our our international council, and I was able to do a lot of... the um like international events and cultural um, festivals at school but then now when i move here even though it's like it's a big university and there are lots of people it was really hard for me at first to find a community where i was able to uh, like find similar people like me but tip i think is the place they basically makes me feel at home Hmm. and uh I was able to find friends like Pearl and Dana and also just the volunteer training sessions. I think it's um, an amazing opportunity to, you know, learn more about languages and how to translate and interpret it and to Mm -hmm. continue developing my language skills. Mm -hmm. It's a really good chance to learn to think critically about language and how language
0: works. Yeah, Because that's something that we run into Mm -hmm. frequently Mm -hmm. when training volunteers is that there's a big difference between the way you're speaking Uh, whatever language it is that you speak with your friends or in a class presentation or Mm -hmm. with your family and the way you're speaking it in a uh, translation—in an interpretation context. Mm -hmm. Um, And you run into all kinds of really interesting issues, and we have really, really good discussions, I think, in those volunteer training sessions about, oh, you know, in— my language when I learned it, we always said the numbers in English, but we say the rest of the sentence in Hindi. Mm-hmm, stuff like mm-hmm. that, or yeah. what do I use formal pronouns or informal pronouns yeah. if someone's really angry? How do I convey that? How do mm-hmm. I convey this, or that, or the other emotion? Or mm-hmm. this hand? Just all of these questions come up that you never even think about, even as a second, even if you learned the language mm-hmm. as a second language, you're not necessarily thinking about as you're using it. Um, so it's it's really beneficial for that, especially I think all of us as, as language students or as mm-hmm. speakers of other sure. languages can benefit from that consciousness. Yeah.
2: What would you tell another student or a friend about uh, why they should join TIP?
0: You already have the language skill you need. Mm -hmm. This is a chance for you to do something that takes a relatively small amount of time in terms of getting trained and getting certified And your case might, you know, only take four hours a semester. You might never get a call. You might get called three times for a bunch of cases. Sure. But regardless of these discrete instances yep. that are in the grand scheme of your life, a fairly small amount of time. But you can make a huge impact mm-hmm. on someone else's life mm-hmm. with a skill that you already have that you might not even have been using in this capacity. Mm-hmm. And you have a busy schedule. You have this whole, you know, degree that you're working towards. But this is a time— for you to take a, a small amount of time and a skill that you already have and make a huge impact mm-hmm. and and through making that impact I think you'll learn to appreciate yourself more too mm-hmm. and I think that that's really important and yep. it's good for building
1: community and a sense of belonging yep. the huge difference that you make has like such large and long-term effects mm-hmm. on that family or that individual and again like what I was saying about taking what you're learning outside of the classroom like we live in such a um, increasingly globalized community and society that just being a part of this will also help you understand that textbook reading in such a different way or mm-hmm. understand that mm-hmm. lecture in a new perspective. and it's also just a great practice in like stepping into someone's shoes and you know I would, yeah. I would I would I would not say that tip is for people to like do once and then be like, oh look at me, I'm so great for mm-hmm, doing this okay, but it's sure. more sort of an experience in learning how there are people that are very different from you, that are living in the same space. And it's just great to sort of gain that new perspective and have a fuller view of what someone in Ithaca um, on an everyday basis lives through.
3: So So you guys have mentioned these volunteer training sessions a lot. Mm -hmm. Where can people find out more about that?
4: Um, So in order to find out more about our VTS, you can uh, go to campus groups and go to translator interpreter program. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page where we try to post that information and you will soon
0: be flooded with quarter cards and posters all Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. campus (laughs) that are beautiful and
3: list our little our sessions on there. And on that website, if there are community agencies who are interested, I presume that's the same location where they can find out more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have a portal
1: Yeah, we have a different protocol for agencies. We do agency training sessions, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, which are slightly different because, you know, agencies are a different caliber than an individual student as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And we also have to do sort of different, like, legal processes with the agencies. Um, But, yeah, they can definitely get in contact. And also I would say – Um, Our email. Translator at Cornell.edu. There's always someone that will respond, like, Mm -hmm. literally immediately to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I can attest to that. Yes. (laughs) So I think for people who are maybe not on social media, that is also a great resource Mm -hmm. for them to use.
2: Well, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak or have learned, are learning, or want to learn. So let's hear it.
1: In 10th grade, I had um, a Spanish teacher, and whenever she would ask us about our weekend, if we did something cool, she would always say, oh, que guay. And I I just thought guay was such a cool... Word and it means how cool or like mm. how radical, mm, okay. and I just was always like, oh, like qué guay, <laughs> like, very <laughs> cool. So that's my favorite phrase in Spanish. Yeah,
0: Arabic for is interesting because most words have a kind of a, a three-letter or a three-sound root that forms the basis of their meaning, and then you can derive a bunch of other meanings from that core. Um, but there's a small minority of Arabic words that have these four-letter roots, and when I discovered that they existed. As a freshman in high school, I started, like, collecting them almost. Hmm. Um, And so I I memorized all of these, like, very obscure, weird words just because I thought they sounded fun. Um, My favorite one is probably the word fejfej. Fejfej means loquacious Uh or garrulous. Uh Hmm. And um, the word for, like, shivering is tiktika. Hmm. Which is another one of those, which is funny because it sounds like teeth chattering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So there are a lot of like wild words like that that, that you can just kind of look through a dictionary and get to uh-huh, the point where you uh-huh. get past all the three letter roots and get to these like bizarre, weird words, and those are my favorites.
4: <laughs> my favorite phrase is really common. There's a translation in every language. It's just "thank you." In Chinese, it's "xiè xiè." And in Russian, it's uh, spasiba. And are we? like that phrase because I say say it on a daily basis and very frequently to every person that I meet and I think it's a really good way to express your gratitude when somebody Mm. do something for you or Mm -hmm. like help you it's it's a way to make everybody happy Mm -hmm. you
3: know It's great I love it Yeah, it's awesome well thanks so much for speaking of language with us today Dana, Pearl and Ruby thanks for having us thank you for having us Next week, Camille Andrews will join us in the studio.
2: Camille is an emerging literacies librarian and will talk to us about the Cornell Makerspace in Mann Library, the Manufactory. Until then,
3: auf Wiederhören!
1: The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter.
3: Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
1: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
3: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
2: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.